the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Oh, we're glad when you join us here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Now, we have an engineer. His name is Gabe. He's happy uh, to be here because he gets us on the air. And uh, Andrew Herdliska does the producing of the show. John Brandon is our first guest. He's in Roseville, Minnesota, up in the frozen tundra. Uh, We're going to talk about his book, The 7-Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distraction, and Achieve the Results You Want. Uh, John, first of all, welcome to Orlando. It's uh, certainly nice to have you here as a guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, What's the background of this book, John? How did it come about? So I was a columnist for Inc. Magazine, Inc.com, for about 10 years. I had a, a long run there up until about a couple of years ago. And I wrote an article about how to have a morning routine in only seven minutes and be really intentional with your time. And a lot of people liked it. A lot of people are doing their morning routine from that article. And so the book really spawned out of that. And then it led to a lot of other routines to help you be productive with your day. John, there are eight sections, so let's get started. Section one, morning routine. Define what is meaningful. You're smarter in the morning. Capture the hope moments. Put yourself on the right path. Fill us in. So in the morning, we pay attention to details better. This is from brain science. Some of us actually are a little bit better at night, but it's a vast majority. Wake up in the morning, we've had our coffee, we're focused, we're attentive, and that's the best time to think about what really matters. Some people say, you know, make a list of all the 30 things that you want to do during the day. And I don't recommend that. I actually don't recommend making a list of your tasks at all. What I do recommend is just journaling and jotting down what's important to you, what does the day hold for you, and then focus on the things that matter most. It might even be just one item that you need to focus on, but just it's a way to throttle and adjust your productivity to focus on things that matter most. Uh, Let's go to section two. You call it plan your day, learn how to focus, stop relying so much on lists, do the most important tasks first, how to set critical goals. Fill us in. So the plan your day routine, it's really more about, uh, you know, not having an Excel file with, you know, 500 cells and trying to have this all mapped out perfectly. It's really, again, saying uh, what, so I have a quote in the book, it's what you focus on will be your greatest area of success. 
you plan your day, it's really about focusing on the things that matter, saying, here's here's the things that I really need to get done. And then also it's about becoming the person that you really want to be in life and who you're created to be in life, uh, who you're meant to be. So it's setting expectations and saying, you know, I'm not going to do all this stuff that doesn't really matter anyway. Uh, I'm going to toss those things aside, maybe do them on Thursday, you know, later in the week. Uh, but it's it's a way of saying I'm going to really jot down the things that matter the most just for today. Now I want you to talk to us about uh, Section 3. Uh, John Brandon is our guest. Uh, take a break. How to avoid decision fatigue. Stop tunneling your goals. Becoming more self-aware. Fill us in. It turns out that a lot of us just get right to work, and we work all day, sometimes 8, 10 hours, sometimes even more. Uh, I think it was Elon Musk, the famous uh, Tesla founder, who said that you should work 100 hours a week. And I'm, I'm just thinking, wow, how can you sustain that for a long period of time? Uh, so what I'm saying is every maybe every couple hours, every, you know, three hours, take a really intentional break. I'm saying for seven minutes, drop everything. Don't check email. Don't use your phone. Just get away from it all. Um, but my favorite thing is just to walk around the building a couple times where you work. And, and that just re-energizes you. It makes you think about things and ponder things. Uh, the thing that's it's really important about productivity is you have to step away from it every once in a while and say, oh, you know what, I don't really need to work 100 million miles an hour on this task because it's not really that important anyway. So taking a break helps you do that. Now, <clears throat> let's get to Section 4. Debrief your day, achieving goals by unlearning old habits. Hardship makes us stronger. Ending the day with renewed hope. Tell us more, John. Yep, so this one is about uh, looking back in your day and seeing which moments had filled you with the most hope. I call them hope moments in the book. Uh, my favorite story about this is when my daughter got married, uh, she, had, she had her morning routine, and she wrote down just one important thing for the day, and it was get married. And then she got married that day, and then in her daily debrief at the end of the day, she just wrote down one thing, got married. And I think what's really cool about that is it says a lot of the things we do don't matter as much, but there's important things that are uh, contributing to who you are, who you want to become. Um, The other thing about the daily debrief is it turns out, according to science again, There's something about writing things down. You're 35% more likely to remember something if you write it down. Uh, By the way, you're 70% more likely to remember it if you write it down and have accountability with someone where you tell them what you wrote down. That's an important step. But the daily debrief is really looking back and writing down what did you accomplish, what were your stressors, cross them off, write down your hope moments for the day, and really ponder and think about whether you worked on the right things or not. My guest, and he's up there in wintry Minnesota, John Brandon, the seven-minute productivity productivity solution. That's the name of the book. Uh, John, we've arrived now in uh, the second part of your book, and it's simply called Stop Bad Habits. And uh, it's section five, obsessively checking email. 
Oh, boy. What's the story? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, so some studies have suggested that we obsessively check email up to 30 hours per week. I don't know if the emails are all that entertaining or what's going on, why we're so obsessed with it, but uh, there's two different studies that came to the same conclusion. I live this sometimes. You know, I check email a lot. I have to remind myself it's really not that important to stay totally on top of email. The reason it's a bad habit is because it distracts us from things that matter, and we just get into this flow state of, like, one email, two emails, 50 emails, 100 emails, and we think we're productive, and we never derail, derail ourselves and say, you know what, I actually don't need to be that obsessive about email. It's just one part of communication, one part of productivity. So, again, these routines are all seven minutes. I'm saying go ahead, uh, spend seven minutes really working hard on email, read the important ones, reply to the important ones, and then just set it aside and do something else for a couple hours. John, I'm now moving to Section 6. Mindless web surfing and social media use. You call it the great deception. What happens to your brain when you surf? Feeding the right wolf when you're online. Avoiding the doom scroll on social media. I'm eager to hear all about this. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you about the doom scroll. So that's when you're at Starbucks, you're waiting for your coffee, you pull out your phone, and you do something called a doom scroll or infinite scroll where you just keep going down and down through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, we don't even know what we're looking for anymore. We're standing there, we're, you know, looking at baby photos, kitten photos, and then, of course, more baby photos. And the thing about addiction and obsession is that the reason it's so addictive and obsessive is because we don't even obtain anything. We don't even know what we're looking for in the first place. Um, in In the classic example of an alcoholic, You know, someone just keeps drinking, 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 but they don't actually know why they're doing that. They don't ever think about it. They just keep doing it. So this is a way with with social media and with web surfing just to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? Why is it so important to me? What am I trying to find? And then just setting it down and saying, I only need to do this in short bursts for an intentional period of time, and then I can focus on other things that matter. Uh, I want to, uh, there's one other um, area here in Section 6 I want you to expand on, John. And uh, it's called the Relentless Pursuit of Perfection, you, you write in Section 6. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so we think as humans that we have to be uh, pursuing perfection all the time. This is the definition that I have come up with in the book, the difference between excellence and perfection. So excellence is striving after things that matter, doing our best, but realizing that we're probably not going to be 100% perfect on everything. But we, the, the term excellence even means, you know, we're pursuing after something, we're striving after it, and that's a good thing. Perfection is more of a negative thing. It says, I'm going to try to be perfect in all things, even though I know that's not possible. And so then I'm going to sort of be upset with myself, or maybe there's a boss who is, who is upset with us, because, of course, as humans, we can never be perfect. The other thing about the pursuit of perfection is perfection, keep, the definition of it keeps changing. It's like it keeps sliding away from us inch by inch, and we never obtain it. 
Uh, a lot of people get on that train of thought where they're striving after perfection, and they don't realize that, you know, it's better to just say, I'm going to do my best with the gifts that I have. I'm going to strive after things in my workday, and I'm not going to really get obsessed about doing everything perfectly all the time. Uh, John, I want to uh, move to Section 7. It's called The Never-Ending Presentation. Selling an idea in only seven minutes. How a stained attention span works. Closing the deal in your presentation. I I think this is going to be valuable to me. I, I really love writing this chapter because a lot of people have sat through presentations that last 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, I feel sorry for anyone who's had to sit through one that's maybe two hours. You know, 100 slides, 200 slides. After the first five or six, you're pretty bored. I'm saying that to be productive, you don't really need to go through long slideshow presentations at work. Oftentimes, you know, especially with digital technology, with tools like Slack or Microsoft Teams, we can collaborate and discuss and look at graphics and Word documents together anytime. You know, we can share those ideas. We can collaborate. What I'm saying is that then we can come together and have a presentation only for about seven minutes and just get to the good stuff. And then, you know, this is like a, the biggest cause for celebration and giving each other high fives. We can do short presentations, and then we can get back to the real work that we have for the day. John Brandon has written the book, The Seven-Minute Productivity Solution. Um, section 8, Boring Old Meetings. Why are the best meetings are, are short? <laughs> Resolve problems in seven minutes. How to focus your meetings and your time. Uh, I want to hear about this. Yep. So just like the presentation, we can have shorter meetings. I call them a huddle. And, again, you, you make the big decisions maybe through a collaborative application like Slack or maybe even through email, whatever it is, whatever tool you have to help with communication you discuss things, you, you know, you meet offline in a digital setting, and you chat about things. And then eventually when you have your meeting, instead of it being an hour and going laboriously through all the different details, you just get together and say, hey, we already decided on a lot of these things. Let's just sort of confirm that together, maybe chit-chat a little bit. And I have a routine that's very rich rigid as far as what to do every minute during a meeting to make it incredibly productive. And then again, just like the presentation, you can go back to doing the real work that matters. Well, we're chatting uh, with uh, John Brandon. Uh, He's the author of the seven minute productivity solution. Uh, When we come back, well, we've got another segment with John. Um, But speaking of books, our latest book is out. Uh, My friend Mark Atterbury and I have written a book called uh, every day is game day, and uh, it's a, a devotional, 365-day devotional. Uh, every story, every anecdote is uh, sports-themed, and then goes off and uh, with, with a biblical message. So uh, when you go up to Amazon uh, to order John Brandon's book, The Seven-Minute Productivity Solution, uh, order up a copy of Every Day is Game Day. I think you'll be really pleased. Uh, More with John Brandon. First, these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. 
More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. My guest is John Brandon. He's in um, Roseville, Minnesota. Uh, His book, The 7-Minute Productivity Solution. John, there's an epilogue uh, to your book. It's called Ending on a Good Minute. Uh, Tell us more about that. I love this part in any book. I, I read a lot of books myself, and then the author finally sort of gets to the end, and they add the footnotes, and they say, take a deep breath, you know, you're done with the book. In my case, I think with productivity, there's this sense that you have to keep pushing, pushing, pushing all day long. And in the epilogue, I just sort of take a step back and say, hey, let's let's not get so stressed about this. Let's not get so worried you know, uh, in, in terms of being a Christian in my faith, I will say that, you know, t- God is above time, and so he's not restricted by time. He's not worried about time. And so if we're, we're pursuing that as Christians in, in, our, in our own faith journey, we should be able to set aside this restriction of time every minute of the day trying to be productive. So I just sort of tell readers, you know, you made it through the book. Congratulations. It's time to just take a breath, breathe in and out a few times. Let's not worry so much about, you know, the events of the day and what happened. Uh, Worry never really gets you anywhere. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but it never accomplishes anything. It's not really a good choice in terms of productivity. Uh, Don't use stress as a way to motivate yourself. Just take a step back and say, you know, I'm going to work on the things that matter the most to me. I'm going to be productive when I need to be productive. I'm going to take breaks, and I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to breathe in and out during the day, and I'm not going to worry about it so much. I, I'm curious, John, what is what is so special about the number uh, seven? What, what is it about seven? Yeah, this is my favorite question on radio, especially because I didn't know this when I wrote the book, but it turns out that most radio hosts will do a seven-minute segment. It's a very common. They teach you that in, in school and in college when you're learning how to do the field. And so I found out that out, that every seven minutes it's common to take a break. And they do that because they know the listener can only really keep track of things for about that period of time. So, And then there's other studies, and especially in schools, they've found out that sustained attention span lasts about seven minutes. Um, some experts say five minutes, some say ten. I split the difference and say seven. But more than anything, I have to say that that's been true for me. So when I'm sitting and hearing a lecture or I'm in a presentation, I feel like every single time, you know, like clockwork, seven minutes goes by and I start wandering. I start thinking about what's for lunch. So then I started thinking, well, if that seven-minute period is so special and sustained attention span, that's really the sweet spot for knowing that we can get something done and be intentional during that time. Um, some people would say, like, well, you know, what can you really accomplish in seven minutes? And my answer to that is the, the whole point of this is teaching you to be intentional. So once you learn the habit of keeping track of your time and being productive, then you're going to be productive all day long, not just for that seven-minute period. 
How are people responding to this, John? What's been the reaction? Uh, so right now the book launched on January 18th, and the, the most fun that I've had is that I, I'm pretty active on social media, of course, only seven minutes at a time, you know, but mm. I'm pretty active. I have a pretty good following, and people have been sending me messages of, uh, you know, the, the favorite section in the book. I've gotten a few selfies of readers taking a picture of the book. Uh, but my favorite one so far is someone did a video where they read a portion of the book. And that is just so rewarding as an author when somebody takes the time to make a video and I open your book and they read a section of it. Um, that's that's really fun. Another thing that's really fun right now is that there's an audio book. So I am uh, one of those authors that I, I love this topic so much and I love helping people with these tools that I've listened to portions of my own audiobook, and it's really fun to hear someone else reading your own words. I, I've never experienced that before, so I, I love that part. Uh, what's next for you, John? Is this uh, spark up a series somehow, or what's, what, what, do you, what do you see coming? I, I have thought about that. I think there's other areas that we can be intentional with our time. Um, I thought a lot about, you know, maybe doing a workout for seven minutes. I don't I don't mean in the evening or in the morning. I mean like midday, taking a break and doing a, a workout for seven minutes. I thought about how it could apply to a lot of areas of, of our life. And I think I'd love to expand on the ideas. So we'll see if that comes about. Uh, I do have some other ideas I'm thinking through, um, especially in terms of how work intersects with faith. But right now, I'm just sort of enjoying the whole process of the book launch and, and hearing from readers. John, I'm curious, uh, as a freelance columnist, well, for Inc. Magazine, Fox News Network, Christianity Today, Relevant Magazine, others, uh, what is the life of a freelance columnist like? Well, so I have... I have I've been a columnist since 2001. I was in the corporate world. I was actually downsized a week after 9-11. So 9-18-2001 is the day I became a columnist. And I, I love it. I currently write a column for Forbes magazine online. And I the, my favorite thing about doing that is I love hearing from readers. So I often will publish, I don't know if you know the author Bob Goff, uh, he tends to put his phone number at the end of his book, and then he gets calls all the time. Um, I tend to put my email at the end of columns. And so I, I get a lot of emails from people. Sometimes they're like, I don't really agree with what you said, and that's fine. That's their perspective. But oftentimes it's just people with questions. You know, you wrote about social media. You wrote about these addictions of web browsing. Um this is my issue. This is my specific area of obsession. What can I do differently? And I, and maybe I'm just a helpful person. I, I tend to be more introverted, and I, I just love to, to help people and serve people. So then when they contact me through email, it's like, oh, good, I get to help somebody. You know, I get to do what I'm good at, write back to them and give them some tips. John, how do you describe winter in Roseville, Minnesota? Wow, that is a great question. It, it feels a little bit like you're in the Arctic, uh, especially today. I, I walked uh, over to an office, and uh, there's, there's it's just a really low wind chill, and but it's bright and sunny. 
for anyone who's never been in those conditions before, well, one tip is to walk fast. That's, that's a big one. But the other thing is it's really enjoyable to just experience, you know, the, the nature and, the, and it's really, really cold. And then when you actually get inside, it's like, oh, great, I'm finally inside where it's warm again. And, and you've got to tell us, uh, what is ice fishing all about? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, you're in Florida, so ice fishing is definitely a foreign concept. Uh, I've done it quite a bit. I can't say that I'm really very good at it. I once wrote an article about ice fishing with my son, and maybe I can send it to you, and there's a website we can link to it from. But uh, I did that with all my kids. You cut a hole in the ice, you put your line down, and you hope for the best. Um, here's the thing about ice fishing in Minnesota, though. Anyone will tell you that it's the experience that's the most fun. So being out in the cold, in a shelter, maybe having a little you know, heat source of some kind to, to keep you warm in, inside of your shelter. Um, I don't know if people will say, oh, it's because I, I, I catch a bunch of fish. But it's the experience of even being able to do it that, that I think is the most fun. So if you catch one, John, <clears throat> how do you pull him up the hole in the ice if he <laughs> if he's if he's big? Yeah, I've done that before, and, and you just have to have a little bit stronger line and hope for the best. But surprisingly enough, it works pretty well. I've caught walleye and northern pike through a hole in the ice, and uh, as long as you have the right strength of line, you're you're good to go. Um, but I would say most people do it for fun. They're catching panfish. And uh, speaking of being productive, you know, if you set if you set goals for catching a smaller fish, maybe at a lake where it's easier to catch fish, you're going to be more productive. Some people in Minnesota go for the muskie or the northern pike, and then you might catch one for one or two the whole week, you know, that you're fishing. Well, my guest has been John Brandon talking about his book, The Seven-Minute Productivity Solution. We've got more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Our guest in that first segment was John Brandon from uh, Roseville, Minnesota, talking about his book, The 7-Minute Productivity Solution. Well, we go from Roseville, Minnesota to Cordova, Tennessee. We found Ken Heinemann. He's the children's pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church, right out there in the Memphis area. Uh, and he um, is the author of Every Age, Every Stage, Teaching God's Truth at Home in Church. Uh, Ken, welcome to Orlando. I hope things are well with you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, why was it important for you to write this book? Well, I think, uh, Mr. Pat, that this book is really important for families. Um, uh, you know the issues that we're facing uh, with raising our children today, and I've just felt having having two young adult children and kind of watching how my wife and I parented our children, I felt like this would be a great help for, for other families. Well, <clears throat> here, here we go. Uh, you um, open your book 
uh, part one. What are the levels of biblical learning? Why should I care? Uh, I, I want to hear uh, about part one and why that's important. Sure. Well, first of all, let me do a quick explanation for what the levels of biblical learning are. Yes. Um, it's 490 discipleship phrases that was created by an organization called LifeWay Christian Resources about 25 years ago. And I was able to be a part of some of those early processes, and I stand on the shoulders of many, many uh, greats in the preschool and children's world who have worked on this process. But the levels of biblical learning really are, like I said, 490-something discipleship phrases that take a child from bed babies, ones and twos, early preschool, all the way up to young adulthood through high school and early college. Each of these phrases are, are built so that a child learns at their own pace, and they build on prior learning. In other words, a two-year-old is going to learn some things, and then they're going to build on that process when they become four or six or eight or ten. We use this process with our own children, and um, I'm grateful to say that as we partner that with uh, with with Bible verses, key verses that they were memorizing in our home, it's certainly been a, a great thing to watch in our own kids. Uh, there are three topics there with part one, discipleship and the levels of biblical learning, nothing less than the Bible, discipleship toolbox. Um, do you want to add to that? Sure. So the nothing less uh that chapter is actually from a book that Miss Jana Magruder, who is a co-author on this book, she wrote with uh, Lifeway about five years ago, and it was based on research that uh, they did with several families that really said, what worked with your adult children? So what did you teach your children in the preschool and children's stage that now as adults, as as they are connected to the local church, what worked for them? And they found out that there are three things that were really key in teaching your children. One was teaching your kids to serve others. Next was was helping your kids and encouraging your kids to memorize Bible verses, memorize Scripture. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, was reading your Bible on a consistent basis. And, you know, I grew up in a home where I watched my family do some of those things, but not on a daily basis. But as uh, being a parent now, I've tried my best to make sure that my kids were serving their local church and serving others in our community. I also wanted to make sure that my boys were memorizing Scripture. And I have two kids, and one memorizes great, and the other one, boy, it's, it's like a chore to get him to memorize. But we, we stayed with that, and we've seen a lot of success. And then just teaching them ongoing discipleship that they need to be reading God's Word. It is a message to them that they should use every day. Uh, Let's move on to uh, part two. How can I teach biblical truths to my family at home? And and, uh, the first topic here is teaching my family about God's creation. Uh, Fill us in, Ken. So, Mr. Webbs, you know that they say that if you get creation wrong, you're going to get everything else wrong. 
Mm. And I kind of believe that. And that's why we put the creation portion at the beginning of this process. So these these next few chapters really focus on 10 key concepts, creation, the Bible, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, people, family, community and world, the local church, and then salvation and baptism. And the reason we started in the book with creation is we wanted to make sure that preschoolers and children and preteens and middle schoolers and high schoolers, we wanted to make sure that they had a, a firm understanding that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. And you know, I've watched so many young families, they get that wrong and they listen to the influences of, of other cultures and the world and and they just get it wrong. And I want to make sure that parents have a good understanding that God created the world. In this chapter, uh, Mr. Pat, there are some, some great, uh, simple suggestions that you might want to do in your home with younger preschoolers. There's great suggestions you might want to do with your children. There's even suggestions on teaching the concept of creation to your middle schooler and high schooler. And, and I, I know that that yeah, parents are kind of thinking, well, how, how do, what am I going to do to teach my middle schooler about creation? Again, if we're not teaching those biblical truths at home, the world is certainly going to teach those things. Here's the next topic here in part two, teaching my family about the Bible. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that should be self, kind of self-explanatory, but I'm learning with after spending my uh, career working with a lot of young families that, they just don't understand the value of reading their Bible and teaching their children to read the Bible. So in this chapter, again, we focus on simple, practical suggestions that encourages a mom and a dad to open their Bible on a regular basis with their children, regardless of the age. Now, we're hoping by the time they get to pre- preteen, you know, fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade and so forth, we hope that they are, they are accustomed to regularly opening their Bible and reading it, but we still want to encourage that because the Bible is, is the living Word of God. It, you know, it says that it's the only thing that will last forever. So I've tried to teach families that, that you need to make sure your kids are connected to, uh, to the Bible on a consistent basis. Now, and I want to just remind you that Ken Hindman is our guest we're talking about his book, uh, God, Teaching God's Truth at Home and Church. Uh, here's the next topic for you, Ken. Teaching my family who God is. So, um, you know, I remember when my parents tried to begin to talk with me about God, it was tough for me as a child to understand the vastness of God. God's a big deal, and God is the creator of all things we see. Well, if I have the responsibility as a parent to teach my child who God is, that can be overwhelming. So in this chapter in the book, we take simple principles on how you can introduce your child, whether they're two-year-old or three- or four-year-old, how you can teach your child and introduce them to who God is so that it's not scary or intimidating, but it's very, it's very acceptable and very pleasing as they're those young ages. And then as they develop and grow and mature, 
they can begin to grasp those those bigger concepts that he's just, that he's fair, he's all loving and all knowing, and he's everywhere all the time. Those are just a few of the key concepts that we talk about in this chapter related to God. And now it's time to ask you about teaching my family who Jesus is. Okay, we'll be right back, Ken, to talk more. Uh, I'm Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Ken Heinemann is with us from Cordova, Tennessee, and we're talking about his book, Teaching God's Truth at Home and Church. And, and Ken, right before the break, I'd asked you uh, to tell us about teaching my family who Jesus is. Sure. So uh, the concept of teaching a child... Um, whether they're a preschooler child in elementary school or preaching, we want to make sure that they understand not only who God is, but in this chapter, who Jesus is, that Jesus is God's Son, that He was sent to earth with a purpose. He became a man just like us, but yet He was perfect. He never sinned. And, you know, that's, that's sometimes complicated for uh, younger kids to understand. But in this chapter, we lay out some, some simple suggestions to mom or dad or, or the local church leader that will help them begin to grasp with their child who Jesus is, that he came with a purpose, he lived a sinful life, he ultimately went to a cross, was crucified, buried, and rose three days later having victory over death in the grave. What a, what a story. What a message to share with our children. And then you go right to teaching my family who the Holy Spirit is. So I know a lot of us uh, growing up in the church, we've heard of the, of the concept of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I've learned that with, with children, it's important to teach age-suitable information. What what do I mean by age-suitable information? Well, it means that you teach a two-year-old differently than you teach a second grader. You teach a second grader differently than you do a fourth grader. You teach a fourth grader differently than you do an eighth or ninth or tenth grader. And with this concept, we're very cautious about making sure that we're teaching age-suitable teaching. For that reason, we, we realize that because uh, younger kids, preschoolers and children, are so literal-minded, we, we don't introduce the concept of the Holy Spirit until they get to, like, eight or nine years old, simply because they can't understand that concept. But at that point, we offer suggestions in this chapter on how you can appropriately go to the Bible, open up God's Word, and teach who the Holy Spirit is, and more importantly, what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to intercede for us on behalf of God the Father. That's really key in making sure that we're teaching age-suitable information related to the Holy Spirit for our kids. Ken, here's one for you. Teaching my family how to love people. 
Uh, you know, Mr. Pat, that our, our world is in a really unique situation, and we have we have situations as we walk up and down our streets or we drive, and, and we see people. We see people sometimes that are at that moment in a probably a less fortunate situation than maybe we are at that time. I think it's important that we teach our preschoolers, our children, our middle schoolers and high schoolers how to love other people. And in this chapter, we offer suggestions on how to get out of the home, how to, how to stop looking at yourself and look at the people around you and realize that God has placed them there. You know, the Bible says that we are, be, we are to be an, a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what he means, that we are to love those people in and around everywhere we go. Now, uh, let's talk about this topic, teaching my family God's plan for families. What, what is God's plan for families, Ken? Yeah, well, you know, when you look at the, at the Bible, Mr. Pat, all of the answers are there. I think we sometimes just struggle in our world to, to, to we're hearing the wrong voices, we're listening to the wrong information. God answers the, the, the questions there in His Word. God's plan for families is very simple, and He laid it out in Scripture. And you know, when you, when you focus on the Bible, there are, that is the absolute. There are no questions. He wrote the rules. Our job is to follow them. So in this chapter, we try to make sure that parents have a great understanding of God's plan for the family and that this is the way you need to instruct your preschoolers about family. These are ways that you need to instruct your younger children about God's family. And these are the ways you need to help your middle schooler and high schooler be able to navigate all the issues that they're being faced with related to family. This is a great chapter. I've got some great information in there uh, about how you can practically meet some of the needs that are going on in our culture today, and I think families will really enjoy reading this and, and applying this to their home. Now, Ken, I want you to explain to us, teaching my family how to relate to the community and the world. That's a big topic. Uh, you know, I just, uh, a few minutes ago, Mr. Pat quoted Acts 1-8, and it says, you're to be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what this is related to. I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of it myself, I grew up in a small town in northwest Alabama, and I thought that was the only thing that existed. And then God said, no, you're going somewhere else to serve me. And I, I went to a larger city and and, and and just realized that, boy, this is a massive world, and yet we have a message of, of salvation and hope that sometimes we keep to ourselves a little bit too much. In this chapter, I try to encourage people to get out of get out of their box, so to speak, and to influence and to impact the community and the world around them, whether that's across the street, across the city, in another state, or even in another country. Uh, here's a big one. Teaching my family about the church. You know, Mr. Pat, uh, gosh, even after all of this COVID experiences, our local churches have just gone through some really, really unique times. But the Bible is clear. It says, do not forsake the assembly of others. 
in the local church. And for me, here at Bellevue, I try my best to make sure parents understand that you need to consistently have your preschoolers and children and, and teenagers in the part of the local body of believers. They need to be interacting with other Christians so they can then face the challenges. You know, in this chapter, we, we take really two approaches. What the Bible says about God's church, we look a lot at Acts and the early church, but then also what we need to be doing in our local churches today and how we need to be responding to the needs represented around our community. So this is a really, I think this is a fun chapter and uh, really helps parents to grasp some simple suggestions about the local church. Let's talk about uh, this big one, teaching my family God's plan of salvation. Again, Mr. Pat, this would go back to that age-suitable teaching. Um, sometimes sometimes we, we approach salvation or, and we present maybe uh, the message of salvation really a little bit too early. Now, I know God is in control. And it's God who convicts the heart of sin in our lives. But I want to make sure that I'm, I'm teaching in an age-shield environment. So for that reason, we are very cautious here at Bellevue, that, and, and I suggest this, this in the book, that we, um, we make sure that we're presenting the salvation message in an age-shield environment. But we also want to make sure that mom and dad are equipped in the home when the time is right, to share the message of salvation with their own children. I think that's so important. My parents influenced me. It was not a one-and-done thing. It was a process. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 that we are teach uh, when they rise in the morning, when they walk along the road, and when they go to bed at night. It's not just a one-and-done check-the-box. Salvation is a process. It's a discipleship process that starts at birth, and leads up into the point when God convicts their heart of sin, and that child is ready to receive the Lord as his personal receive the the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. This chapter lays out all of those suggestions. You know, there's a lot of methods out there that people use to um, share their faith with other people, and I'm so encouraged by what I see happening across our culture. But again. Moms and dads are the primary faith trainer in the home. It's mom and dad's responsibility to teach their children biblical truth and to form those Christian worldviews. And in this chapter, we try to encourage moms and dads to be confident as they share their faith with their boys and girls, with their children living in their home. Ken Heinemann is our guest. He's in Cordova, Tennessee. Uh, The book is called Teaching God's Truth at Home and Church. Now... In part three, Ken, how can my church partner with me? So the questions are about partnering partnering with the church, partnering with the home. Tell us more. So, uh, Mr. Pat, it's important that that I think I've been a church leader for many, many years, but my, my responsibility is to the parents. The Bible instructs that parents are the primary faith trainers. They have more influence in the home than we could ever have at church. So we want to make sure we're partnering with parents. We want to make sure we're equipping parents in the programs and the and the events and special things that we offer at the church 
that we're partnering with the parent. We want to make sure we're resourcing the parent. And that's what these chapters are about. These are really about suggestions that the local church could do. I'm not saying they should do, but they could do to help partner with parents. Here, uh, we suggest things like a parent-child dedication service. We think that's very important to say to young parents, hey, you have an opportunity to influence your children for spiritual growth as early as their one-year-old and two-year-old age. Start now. Don't wait till they're five or six or seven. Start now. Other things we do is, you know, we suggest uh, events like uh, passion to purity and making sure that your child understands that that um, God's design is for sex to be used inside the context of a marriage. And those things are really helpful when you're partnering with the church. Um, you know, I, as a parent, I didn't have all the answers, but boy, I was certainly encouraged when my church came alongside me and offered suggestions and, and partnered with me. And that's what we're trying to do is we're laying out some of those simple suggestions here in this book. Ken, what do you want uh, listeners to take from our visit here? What do you want uh, people to take from your book? Yeah, so my suggestion, Mr. Pat, is uh, we wrote this book with called Ages and Stages to make sure that parents understand that there's a discipleship process that really is not that complicated. It's just got to be visited day in and day out, and sometimes several times throughout the day, in order to make sure that kids are learning uh, biblical truth about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, creation, salvation, the church, all of those things help provide a what I think is a strong biblical foundation for kids as they grow up in the home. And ultimately, our goal is to make sure that parents lead their children in a transformation of salvation. We want to make sure that parents feel confident in leading their child to Christ and then pointing them in a direction of discipleship that's going to start at an early age and continue on they see Jesus. That's the purpose of this book. It's not all-inclusive, but it's got some great resources laid out for the, the home and for the local church. Ken, tell us about Bellevue Baptist Church. Uh, sure. I'm not sure what you want to know. Um, I've been uh, had the privilege of serving as the children's pastor here for, for the past 10 years. This church has a lot of uh, Southern Baptist tradition. Our pastor, Dr. Steve Gaines, has been pastoring here for, I think, 15 years. This is his 15th year anniversary. And um, we try our best to be a light to this community and the communities around us, to this state and the nation and to other parts of the world. Our, our primary goal is to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. And, you know, sometimes those things are easy, but sometimes those things can be very complicated especially when you got three or four kids running around and, and trying to do life in a day-to-day basis. Ken Hindman he- yeah, has been our guest. Uh, we've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, we will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. 
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, John Brandon, our first guest, and then Ken Heinemann uh, was guest number two. Uh, I want to tell you, folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Uh, there's a website, OrlandoDreamers.com, OrlandoDreamers.com. Go up there and just check in. Just say, good idea. I'd like to be part of this. Season tickets, perhaps, down the road if this all works. But we uh, we need community support big time. So uh, you can help, OrlandoDreamers.com. Well, you've been listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We gather every weekend like this, including next weekend. I hope to see you at that time. In the meantime, have a wonderful week ahead. And uh, how about this? Do everything in love this week. So long. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.